Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm also joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? It's going great. You know why? Tell me. Because I got socks for Father's Day. Oh, wow. I got whiskey, which tasted more like a bourbon, like a sweet single malt whiskey. So happy Father's Day to everybody out there. To celebrate, we're going to be talking uh, 60 minutes of just rehashing all the Twitter arguments we've seen about the Vettel penalty, Matt. Are you up for that? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm always up for an argument. Look, we spent three hours arguing about the definition of rejoin, I think, on Monday. I think we've had enough. So no, we're not going to go over the Vettel penalty at all. I have to say, it's been fascinating to see everybody's passion on the topic. And we're actually talking about the soul of F1 rules. And it's interesting to see what people think uh, that they want to watch. So Martin Brundle has said, we don't need those rules. Let them race, you know, Wild West, whereas other people have defended and said, you know, done the moniker defense. Rules help us define the fun. My one regret, Matt, is that it was the way round it was, because obviously everybody immediately accused me of Hamilton bias. I would have loved the opportunity to have argued that with all its technicalities from the other side. Yes, if only you had a show where you could have done that. No, you know what I mean? I wish it had been like Hamilton had been the one who had made the violation and I could have argued that he deserved the penalty and then I wouldn't have got all the shouts of Hamfosi. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Had the shoe been on the proverbial other foot, it would have made uh, it would have made for less accusations of bias. And actually, if only we could go to an alternate universe and switch that around and just see how that affected everybody's decision. Because it's easy for me to sit here and say, I would have said exactly the same thing. But who knows? I might have found myself trying to justify it another way. But anyway, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by our video editor, Steve Amy, and 
Kyle Power. Great to get our video editor Steve Amy back in the shed all the way from Australia. Where exactly down under are you, Steve? I live in Brisbane, which is um, getting towards the tropical part of Australia, on the East Coast, near the very best beaches in the world. Okay, I'm British. You're going to have to put that into relation of how far from Ramsey Street is that? Uh, About... 13,000 miles. What? Ramsey Street only exists in British minds these days. How do you have 13,000 miles in one country? That's stupid. No, no, no. I'm saying that Ramsey Street only exists in the minds of British people. In in reality, I'm about uh, 1,600, or no, about 1,400 miles from Ramsey Street, directly north of it. Still, it's a massive country and you've only managed to muster up one F1 driver. I'm assuming your Aussie bias makes you a Daniel Ricciardo fan. How's it going for your boy this season? Well, obviously, I'm a Daniel Ricciardo fan, or as I call him these days, Daniel Avocado. Thank you to that little boy on that interview. Brilliant. Well, I think finally he's starting to get some feel for the car. Uh, I think it took a long time, you know, for him to kind of begin to feel comfortable. And that's fairly, you know, uh, you can understand that. He's come from what was a pretty good car, uh, one of the best in terms of, you know, the way it cornered and operated, despite the French engine. And now he's gone back to something that's nowhere near as good. I think he's come to grips with it and is now beginning to actually drive it better than the thing deserves. Absolutely. We will be talking about Renault because if you look at the form in the last race, you could think that perhaps Renault are really in this scrap. We're going to find out how much our panel think that that is real and perhaps maybe if it might be a spike. I'm giving you a spoiler of my opinion there. Sorry, Renault fans, but we do have people on the panel who think it might mean more. We also have Kyle Power on. How's it going, Kyle? How are you? Yeah, very well. Cheers. I'm I'm buoyed by the fact that Roman Grosjean has pretty much confirmed I'm a top level athlete. So I'm I'm quite happy. Well, I knew. I've always known you're a top level athlete. Of course, you're a top level outdoor carter as well, Carl. Very quick. Your battle with Alex Van Jean at the last Miss Apex karting event was fantastic. You can go on our YouTube channel and find that in Heat Five. Uh, what's Grosjean said about you specifically? Oh, uh, it was sp- specifically about me. Um, yeah, it was uh, basically that F1 is too easy and he went go-karting in the 125cc shifter cart, which is a tiny bit faster than the 125cc carts I race, and said that it's more tiring than doing a Grand Prix. I knew it all along. I knew it. Uh, but Matt, we're going to start off with comparing uh, Hamilton and the Bottas 2.0 that appeared at the beginning of 2019. I think most people think that this is where any serious title challenge is going to be mounted. We don't, you know, we have to realise there's a lot of season left. Everyone's written this off. But, you know, how have the two drivers been squaring up so far? Well, it seemed like a good time to do a comparison as we're exactly more or less one third of the way through the season. And... As it happens, I just had an open Excel spreadsheet in an extra half hour this morning. So I went through and compared the 19 and the 18 qualifyings between Botas and Hamilton. And what I discovered was that this year, um, the average difference is 0.014714 in favor of Hamilton. And that last year, it was 0.020667 in favor of 
Hamilton. So there has been an improvement. No, no, no. There's absolutely no need at all to have gone that many decimal places. That that just confuses everyone. And I think on some level, you know that. So tell us then, what's the difference between the gap last year and so far this year? Well, actually, uh, what I decided was even better measure was just to straight up add up the negatives and pluses and see where we are. And what we can see is that this year, Botas has been uh, 0.103 off of Hamilton overall, if we just straight up add the minuses and pluses between them. And last year, he was 0.124. So effectively, he is 0.021 tenths faster this year than last year, which doesn't sound like a lot. But what, but what, it also kind of yeah. is in Formula One. But what you're talking about is the difference in their very fastest Q3 lap. And that's fair. That's all we can judge it on. However, I got yelled at by Hamilton fans. See, I get yelled at for being anti-Hamilton as well. Because I feel, Kyle, like Hamilton doesn't always deliver the lap. Like when he does deliver the lap, the lap it's sensational. But does he always no, um, particularly this year, Bottas has been the the more consistent qualifier for getting for actually getting um, getting the lap time out of the car. But as we've seen, Hamilton traditionally will get better as the season goes on, and I don't believe Bottas will. I believe he'll stay on version one point. Well, he's gone down to one point three now, hasn't he? Not, not quite one point five. Yeah, so you think it's it's possibly a little bit flattering, but the the thing I see with Hamilton is he doesn't seem to have that that banker lap mentality. The way he sees it, Matt, is that he's got two chances to 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 get the perfect lap, and if he gets it, he gets it. If not, it opens the door for Vettel and Bottas to stick it on pole because I think they have got that mentality to get a banker lap in. Hamilton's going for the hundred percent lap. Are other oh, drivers? Yeah. He absolutely is going for the hundred percent lap because I think he's discovered, uh, kind of like that guy who won all the Jeopardies, that that is clearly the way to get the best out of the car. Okay. Good. So what does that mean for the championship then, Matt? Is there a chance for Robotas to, to come back and make something of this? Well, no. If we look at it, he's won roughly the same amount of poles over Hamilton or finished ahead of him uh, in qualifying. Uh, the big difference, you'd have to say, would be he's got a race win under his belt where previously he hasn't. Um, otherwise, it's really pretty much of a wash. He's a little bit faster, which gives him maybe uh maybe puts a little more pressure on Hamilton. Maybe there's going to be a few more mistakes that let him start ahead. But the real question is going to be can he then convert? And I'm going to argue that's really going to be down to track temperature and circuit characteristics as much as skill at that point. Alright, so I'm going to make the case that there is one chance for Bottas to come back into this championship. And that is if Mercedes accelerate so far away from Ferrari that Ferrari are now never a threat in any races. So if if you're a person who doesn't want Lewis Hamilton to win six world championships, the thing you've got to hope for is Mercedes to really stretch their legs in the development race. Because if you think back to 2015, 2016, the other teams had so little chance that Mercedes were guaranteed a 1-2. Do you remember the amount of times that Rosberg was like lost somewhere deep in the pack? And then he'd fight back and 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 get that number two place. Yeah, maybe thirty seconds behind Lewis Hamilton, but only seven points. So I don't know. What do you reckon, Steve? If we get to a twenty sixteen situation like that, and then suddenly Hamilton has an engine blowout, you know, that's four wins worth of points in one go. Well, 
I think it's probably the only way that Bottas has got a chance. As much as I'd like to see, you know, Hamilton uh, being given a run for his money this year because he's had it fairly easily, um, I I don't think there's much chance. Um, Bottas has come back and the start of the season was pretty good, but I can see him beginning to slide back off it now. Um, And perhaps... (sighs) He doesn't quite have the, the long distance, you know, um, marathon runner mentality that that Hamilton has. You know, Hamilton will keep going through the whole year, and I don't know whether Bottas has got what it takes in order to keep that pressure up all year. Yeah, see, Carl uh, Kedanath Ayer in the chat room. Hello, chat room. You can join them by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast. You can chat along live. Says, but Bottas is no Rosberg. Rosberg was a better driver. I. Definitely agree. I, I think that's clear. Rosberg would beat Bottas in a teammate battle. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, I think we kind of didn't give Rosberg the credit we should have given him really when he was around. But um, Rosberg's been actually been encouraging Bottas to to play dirty behind the scenes. He said the one way you need to beat Hamilton is to get under his skin and destabilizing. But Bottas seems like too much of a nice guy, even with his beard. He seems like too much of a nice guy to do that. So I I. I think he will just gradually slip, fade away as the season goes on. Uh, well then, Matt, it seems like no one has much hope whatsoever uh, for this. However, I, I, I do think that if Mercedes stretch ahead and things start to go wrong for Hamilton, you can get a runaway effect when one team is that far ahead. The, the, the second number two driver does have a chance. Let's talk safety. Let's go to rugged man of the people, Steve Amy here. You have to survive constant death in Australia. It is a land that clearly doesn't want you to survive. Safety is a dirty word for you in your part of the world. When it comes to Halo, I'm going to go ahead and be racist towards you and assume you are anti-Halo because you're an Aussie. I was definitely anti-Halo when they uh, first you know, mooted them being fitted to the cars. Uh, I'm a big believer in it being, you know, an open cockpit form of racing. But since they've brought it in, there have been two or three incidences that uh, have proven that it is probably a very wise idea to have them, something like that on there. It's a pity, though, that the Halo, as it is at the moment, is such an ugly damn design. Uh and I suppose I saw some drawings of the new, you know, supposedly um, indie aero screen they've been playing with. That looks a bit more elegant, but that takes away from that whole thing of you know, open pit, uh, open cockpit racing. So I'm I'm a bit torn between the two things. I'd love to make it safer for the drivers, but if it's going to be closed cockpit, well, it may as well just be Le Mans racing. Uh, now then, Matt, I want to make that distinction between closed cockpit and closed wheel. So for me, if they did anything to go closed wheel, like I feel Formula E is effectively closed wheel, that has a huge effect on the racing. Closed open cockpit, not that divisive an issue for me. But the reason we're talking about this, of course, is because the Halo was only ever the solution they had on hand. I don't think it was anyone's first choice or the best solution. Yeah, that's that's correct. It, it wasn't necessarily the best solution overall. And in fact, if memory serves me, the FIA and IndyCar, which is why this has come up, have sort of agreed to cooperate and share data as they pursue their various safety products, as they are the closest analogs in terms of the speed and the the danger of the series. What interested me about the aero screen is we did see it sort of 
previewed by IndyCar, and it's designed by Red Bull, just to be clear. This is a derivation of their original submission to the FIA back when the Halo was a topic and not yet decided on. Um, but we saw in Canada, uh, Romain Grosjean wind up with a huge chunk of someone's wing inside his cockpit. And if we go back and think about what happened to Massa, then we see that, as, as I believe the numbers bore out, it was about 17%, the halo doesn't really protect from objects like that. And this aero screen absolutely would. Yeah. Um, one of my initial concerns with the halo was it could actually be dangerous in a way that if there was a bit of debris flying that would otherwise miss the driver's head, it could hit it and deflect it down into their chest. And it would think, so that is one thing it doesn't protect against. The aero screen would be better for that, but then surely the aero screen can't be as strong as a massive lump of titanium bolted straight into the chassis. It looks like it looks a bit flimsy. Yeah, Matt. Well, um, at the time, I did do some research on aircraft canopy, and depending upon the construction method and the materials chosen, there's actually a great deal of, uh, what should we call it, uh, ballistic protection available uh, with transparency. It's not going to be as much as a solid chunk of titanium or, you know, up other kinds of up-armoring of vehicles, but relatively speaking, it will give more protection than the halo being open. And I don't see it as being a closed cockpit unless you put it all the way over the top of the driver's head, which the aero screen does not do that. And we saw back in the day, they used to have the little windscreens. Yeah, they certainly did. Now, when it comes to aesthetics, we've got to speak to Steve Amy, who designed the beautiful studio that I'm sitting in. What could they do to make the halo look better? What's the main objection to it? Is it just that it it looks like an afterthought? It does look like an afterthought. I'm not sure what they could do with it. Um, get rid of it is probably the simple answer. Um, it doesn't, there isn't anything from an aesthetic point of view you can do. And I don't even think that it does its safety job that well. Sure, it will deflect a wheel or something really large. But as we saw with Massa, it's not always large things that come through the cockpit. Um, you know, from that point of view, the aero screen would be certainly superior uh, in terms of safety. Um, my only concern with the aero screen really is the, the halo at the moment is hard enough for a, a driver to get in and out of. How much harder is it going to be to get in and out of with the aero screen, which is even more enclosing? All right, Matt. So in your, in your investigations, in your political readings which way do you think they're going to go are we stuck with the halo for a little while honestly i don't mind it i've gotten completely used to it 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 doesn't look great on the onboards that are at helmet level but on the onboards that are in the traditional tv pod position actually adding the graphics in there if they ever bother syncing the audio is fine oh we're getting disagreement from carl carl you don't like the tv pod view with the graphics no it's the graphics they're awful they look terrible and they always take the audio out of sync. They I do. think they're, yeah. they're a horrible step backwards in um, onboard quality. So uh, Halo's good for that, but those graphics are atrocious. Please, please get rid of the FOM. So from a technical point of view, I've made a clever observation, which is the audio is only out of sync when those graphics appear. So it's not out of sync. If there's a normal shot without those graphics, the audio is in sync. When the graphics are in, it's not in sync, Carl. So that's whatever app or program they're using to put the, the throttle and the brake thing on on the halo is causing the, the, the graphics to go out of sync, Steve? Um, 
I can't understand that. Um, you know, coming from a production background, I can't see that they would be sending the audio to the graphics package that makes up the animated graphics and then feeding the audio back into the mainstream. That seems weird. They'd only be feeding video into the, you know, graphics generation package and then feeding that back to the mainstream. No, I think the audio is coming through it. Carl? Yeah, I, I, I thought I had pointed that lovely point out, but I'll let you have that. Oh, no. Do you know what? If I've <laughs> stolen that from you, um, I'm going to just edit this out so that no one ever knows that. Uh, but in That's any fine. case... You can have it. You can have it. Um, let's go to Steve, though. Steve, uh, we don't know too much about you apart from you're a mysterious voice that yells at me. As you said, you are a actual video producer. Like, we're incredibly lucky to have you. We would not have this YouTube setup if it wasn't for you. What's the day job? Uh, the day job is making video content. It has been for many, many years. Um, and that's uh, used to be lots of commercials, um, that not so much commercials these days because everything's made for the YouTube. These days it's uh, education and training videos and sales and promotion stuff and but I make video. That's what I spend my whole day doing, writing, directing, and editing and producing video stuff. And uh, you don't go on Twitter, which is annoying, but possibly because of your very advanced years. Uh, <laughs> if we, we should convince you to go on there. However, you do hang out quite a lot in our Slack group. So thank you very much, Steve, Amy. Uh, your work is very much appreciated and underestimated. If you're an audio listener, I would suggest checking out the video on YouTube and the other way around as well. If you're a video watcher and uh, you might want to try us out in our podcast format as well, there are slight differences between the two versions that go out because Steve has uh, production control of the video and I have of the audio and Steve's better than me. Right, let's move on with some more news. All right, Matt, Renault. It looked like they did very well. However, there are some naysayers who think that that might just be a little bit of a spike and that normal service will be resumed. What's going on with Renault? Well, what we know is that they've finally sorted out their engine issues from this year and have been able to turn the engine back up. And I I will leave that explanation for later. But really, as well as Renault did, and they did very well in Canada... It's hard to argue with, or at least uh, Ricciardo. I think what gets overlooked is uh, for Carlos Sainz, um, he had an issue with a tear-off in his brake duct, and he had a pit stop on lap three, and then he basically went to the end of the race. So I'm not sure uh, that the Hall of Points McLaren walked away with this time is indicative of them no longer being the same kind of player in the midfield. I'd say if there's anyone to beat right now, actually, it kind of is McLaren. They've done the best out of everybody. The Renault performance here is literally uh, a one-off. You could argue Monaco because Ricardo was ahead of Magnussen, but eh, this is the first time we've really seen them turn up, and I would sure hate for solid Renault fans to get all their hopes and expectations all the way up and then see McLaren coming back and taking those best of, or Haas coming back and taking those best of away again. I'm not convinced they're on the Red Bull level just yet. Uh, the problem is that obviously a lot of Ricciardo fans like you, Steve, you're seeing this as, you know, the dawn of a new age. Is that is that how you felt? Oh, I, I was full of hope anyway. Um, it's certainly better than it has been earlier in the uh, in, in this season. 
I've got to say that uh, when it comes to Renault, I've never been a fan of Renault engines. So it will, I'll have to, you know, delay my, you know, final kind of feelings on it for another few weeks until we see if they can keep it up. Renault, you know, may be doing well this week and did a bit better last week, but in two weeks' time they could fall into a heap again. That's just the unfortunate truth. Uh, Kyle, which way did you come down on it? Because I think you had a pre-season prediction on Renault, or am I misremembering that? Uh, I think it was from last year. I was fighting their corner oh, valiantly. Right. I don't remember. Um, they they have a progression. They had their plan. Um, it all kind of came apart this year where they where they discovered their comrade issue. So now that they've explain actually explain what that is. Yeah. So um, so basically, they they had a lot of MGK MGUK issues, as everyone knows. But actually, the main issue preventing them from running the engine flat out was a comrade issue, which put Hulkenberg out of Bahrain. So they all they rushed forward the spec two for Barcelona, and they didn't actually run it at full whack in Barcelona at all. They um kept it they kept it low down to try and just make sure everything was okay, and they turned it up properly in Monaco, and would have had quite a good result if they hadn't botched the strategy. And then they actually put it up full bananas for Canada, and yeah, Ricciardo put it fourth. Okay. And, yeah, yeah, so 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 now they can run the engine as it should. So they've actually made a really good gain on their engine, on their engine power output, forty kilowatts so far, according to Cyril Abitable. Okay, when I said explain that, what I meant was explain as if talking to a small child. What is a comrade? It connects the piston to the crankshaft. Roger that. Trumpets. Yeah, well, I have this question for. I'm totally not based in favor of Renault powers over there. Um. So presumably this is the same improvement in power that McLaren will be getting as well? Yep, absolutely. Um, they, they managed to rush through and Cyril was very, um, was very proudly saying they managed to identify the problem, find a new manufacturer, well, source new parts, test them and get them out for all of their customer teams, which is one, which is McLaren. And they actually made the biggest jump of any team in lap time compared to last year at Canada. So I think it speaks volumes, really. They've, they've actually delivered on what they said they would. Just took them a while. Can anybody tell me if this improved engine capability they have is uh, as a result of the new dyno bench that they put in at very, uh, you know, over the winter period? I remember them reading about it and Cyril saying, you know, this will fix all our engine problems because we've got this new super duper dyno set up. And then they started the season and they were just as crap as they were last year. So is it because they've got the dyno working properly? Probably, um, but they obviously didn't test it on the dyno good enough. So they they have made the power gains. They set themselves a target of a 50 kilowatt power gain. They've done 40 and he said there's 10 more to come. So they thought their target they set they set themselves was unrealistic at first, but they've almost achieved it. And he made quite a bold statement saying that they, they think they are matching Ferrari and Mercedes now in race trim, which what? I think is quite a bold. Yeah, that's very bold, Matt. <laughs> very bold. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and look at some lap times before I completely believe that. It's good news on the power unit front, but I'm not as convinced. I think the single biggest improvement to that car is that they finally developed some brakes that Daniel Ricciardo can properly use in qualifying in the race. Good. Well, Renault might stand a chance, you guys, if it wasn't for the international Mercedes assistance that is Pirelli. Am I right? Yeah, Pirelli, they're just in the pockets of Mercedes. Are they even a different organisation, Matt? A lot of people for a while have been saying that Mercedes are getting an advantage from these tyres. So just to set the scene, I 
kind of have sympathy for this. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy theory where Pirelli are fixing everything to to make Mercedes win. However, what Pirelli does and the decisions they make have a profound effect on the championship. They they made a big change in 2013, which suddenly made Mercedes look pretty good for the beginning part of the season. I thought Lewis Hamilton had a chance of challenging for the title in that season until Silverstone, until the tyres started blowing up and they were forced to revert to the 2012 sidewall configuration, which meant that Red Bull didn't have a a squishy tyre that was messing with their aero. But you could argue that that change helped the new Mercedes team. Now, I'm fueling some fires here. I can feel people getting angry. Now, bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. There was a tyre test towards the end of that season where Mercedes helped Pirelli, but it wasn't declared. And then it all had to go to a big tribunal and Mercedes were kind of on trial. Ross Braun was on trial for illegally helping the tyre manufacturer. And we know what effect close relations with the tyre manufacturer can can have. Ferrari and Bridgestone dominated the sport when they were able to to get into the pockets of of um, of the tyre manufacturer. Now, last season, Matt, we're into tyres here. Oh, I love tyres so much. I'm so glad this topic has come up. It's all about tyres for me. Last season, there were it was a lot closer between Ferrari and Mercedes. And Ferrari were on top of their tyres quite a lot. Three notable races where they weren't on top of it were the races where Pirelli came out with a thinner tyre compound, which seemed to really, really suit Mercedes in so much as other teams struggled with it and they didn't. At the beginning of this season, it suddenly announced that they're going to that configuration that suited Mercedes so well. So can you really blame people after all that history for thinking that Mercedes are getting an advantage from Pirelli? We have a word in the United States. That word is optics. And it must be agreed that the optics of this, when set out by one's competitor, do look kind of bad. I mean, you have Mercedes suddenly getting a tire that works perfectly with its car design. You have every other competitor suddenly with a 180-degree problem to solve, whereas previously it was keeping the tires from overheating. Now suddenly everyone is struggling with getting the tires to go up to the correct temperature, which combined with the aerodynamic change, and this could maybe be argued two changes in one season might be more than we should be doing. And let's not forget there was also a construction change as well. The sidewalls are a bit stiffer now, if I'm remembering correctly. And then we had very cold temperatures at testing again, which kind of hid a lot of these issues from the teams, which put them on the back foot when we finally got around to racing for real. And yeah, I mean, it's very easy to understand why you would think that Pirelli were helping. And that's even before we get to uh, the manufacturers and which tires they put on their cars. Kyle? Yeah, but Pirelli announced this in in November last year, I believe, and at the Abu Dhabi Young Driver Test, they all had a sample of the tyres and they sampled these tyres and had generally widespread positive feedback. So they knew the change had been made. They all had these tyres. It's the same for everybody. So I I can't see where the gripe is. It's, it's, it's the way the cookie, the, the cookie crumbles. And essentially, Mercedes have just done a better job and have figured the tyres out and nobody else has. It's not so much that they figured the tires out so much. I think everyone has, quote unquote, figured out what needs to be done with the tires. It's that the development Pirelli had to reduce blistering 
essentially works better for Mercedes than it does for any of the other nine teams. And as far as the Abu Dhabi test, and again, with the Barcelona test, I think, well, you look at look at how Ferrari did in Bahrain. You have temperatures that are high enough that some of these issues were not apparent to the teams at the time. And their complaint is you've in fixing your tire issues with blistering, which nobody wanted blistering, you've wound up favoring the already dominant team. Yes, but the other teams didn't have to agree. Nobody was moaning back in November saying, oh, this is going to really suit Mercedes. It's 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 happened that way. And now, they, now they're getting upset. If you remember back to the back end of last year, Mercedes still was the best car on the old construction of tires. So they were better anyway. So the, the argument doesn't really wash with me. Steve? Um, someone in the chat room has just brought up a point, and that point is that the tread difference was only 0.4 of a millimetre, you know, in the construction. Um, does that really make a big difference? It's such a small amount. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, well, that's simple, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, obviously, uh, the, the margins that seem small to us obviously can have big, big effects. So it, let's try and boil it down to even terms that spanners can understand. The 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 thinner tyres are harder to warm up, activate, and keep in the tyre window. So that means that Mercedes, who were really really struggling in in their in the pre hybrid in that one pre hybrid season they had, they were actually getting poles everywhere. Matt, they were on pole for like most of those races by like 0.8 of a second and then when it come when it came to the race they were just falling back down the field i guess they were overheating and overworking their tires yeah and 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 in fact i would argue it wasn't really until singapore of last year that they had a proper solution to not overheating the tires albeit one that danced on the edges of the fia uh, regulations about aerodynamics and hubs Oh yes, of course. Of course, the um, the controversial hubs with the the holes drilled in them, Kyle. Yeah, um, just going back earlier, why 0.4 of a millimeter makes a difference? There's just less mass. The tires generate heat by having the mass of the rubber moving around. So 0.4 of a millimeter around the circumference is actually quite a large change. You've got quite a less, so you've got a lot less rubber to move around. So, uh, that's so it might be a small amount of extra thid, but if you add it up, it's just increasing the overall planet size of the tire. Gotcha. And so you have then two problems as a result of that. One, as degradation removes that material, it's harder to keep what's left at a specific temperature. And two, and this is what most of the teams struggle with, it's hard to get the tread of the tire and the bulk of the tire to be at more or less the same temperature. So you'll have a hotter bulk and a colder tread, and this will cause uh, graining and reduce uh, performance. Okay. So just because I've... I feel I started off enthusiastic. I've you I really tried, okay, but I've I've reached my fill now. It is interesting. It does have a huge effect. What does this mean for our future predictive powers? Now that I feel we've all kind of got a better understanding together of what's going on, if we turn up in France and it's the heat wave that I suspect it's going to be, like it's mega mega hot, does that mean that Ferrari are going to be more competitive? Because the the problem they're having of getting the tires into the working window is less hard because the natural heat helps them. Well, you would think that. But if we look at last year's race, we see that Mercedes had an inherent advantage because there's a very, very long straight. And as we saw in Azerbaijan and also to an extent in China, that long straight 
cools the tires ah. enough that it's problematic. And also, uh, last year, France was one of the GPs where they did use these new thinner tires. And Ferrari were decidedly off the pace from Mercedes even then. That's right. Yeah. Kyle. Yeah. So France will be the acid test because even though it has quite a long straight, most of the corners of any of you who have played on the F1 game have mass is really, really high load tires and high energy fast corners. So it's a tire torturer. So if, if Ferrari are not right on Mercedes, and I'm not expecting them to be anywhere near because of their cornering deficit, then you can't really moan about it. They have high load tyres. They should have no problem generating the heat that they need. It should be too much heat, if anything. So since we're talking about the French Grand Prix, let's go on to our French Grand Prix preview um, after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right. Here's one of the things I love about the French Grand Prix is the principle of what they're doing with the runoff areas, because clearly this is a test track and there's no natural grass, there's no walls of Monaco, there's uh, no gravel really. But what they do have is paint around the outside that is supposed to punish the car, isn't it, Steve? So if you run off onto the blue and the red, it's meant to like overwear your tyres, so cause more degradation. I believe that's the point of it. <laughs> to me... Um, the hardest thing about the runoff areas uh, in France is what it does to your eyes. I mean, the, the, those stripes, it's a bit like, you know, one of those concentric time tunnel sorts of things. You know, you've, I find that I'm half hypnotised by the end of fr the French Grand Prix. Um, I think that the point of the paint is that it is supposed to rip your tyres up pretty badly and so people shouldn't run on it. But please, paint it one colour. <laughs> okay, well. Cool. Yeah, the the colour coding, and this is why I quite I, I quite like it, is the different levels of abrasion 
from the paint. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So the blues, blues are not so bad. Reds really bad, and you should never be. Well, if, well, if you're on the red stuff, you need your ticket to get back in. Really, that's very oh, right. But goodness, but, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, apparently it is. So I, I, from an engineering point of view, I quite like that, even if it is makes you a bit dizzy. So this this track though, if you were to put it in a traditional setting. I don't think anyone would have any complaints about it because it is visually so different, visually so jarring to see what essentially doesn't look like a racetrack. I think some of the camera angles don't help as well. If you come low down and you can't see any of the track markings, it does just look like the cars are coming towards you down an airfield and then they randomly turn. Airfield, car park, parking lot in Vegas. Yeah, it it does have that look to it from certain angles. But the drivers, I think, generally seem to enjoy racing there. Uh, maybe because it's sort of centrally located, so they don't have to travel as far. And uh, it certainly made for an entertaining race last year. Yes, an extremely good racetrack. Um, I was bowled over when I first drove it on the sim. It's absolutely amazing. And it has some corners. It offers good racing. So there's sort of, again, I've mentioned before, it's like Brooklands into Silverstone, the fast right-hander after the long back straight offers multiple lines. There are several corners where you can take three or four lines into it, which just encourages good racing. And the drivers thrive on that because nobody knows what the right line is and everyone has a different take. So that's only a good thing for a circuit. We need more corners like this on the calendar. What I really like about this track, Kyle, from a racing point of view, is that without the restrictions of walls, you do see drivers actually going for it. So into turn one, I think particularly Max Verstappen, you would see them more willing to take a risk knowing that they will be able to come back on. Whereas somewhere like the Hungaro ring, you know that going for it can mean the end of your race. And I think that is quite a battle for the soul of Formula One and the soul of racing. I mean, which way do you lean or are you happy to have a mix? Um, I'm happy to have a mix. That's the counter argument to drivers should be punished for every mistake. But then that discourages yes. them for having a crazy lunch. So at this track, it does encourage people to why not? I'll throw one up the inside. The worst that can happen is I just I just cut the chicane and then come on in a safe manner like you should. It, but there should be some punishment for going off. And I'll say it again. I'm going to I'm just going to keep saying it forever until they eventually do it and go, why didn't we do this sooner? As soon as you come off track, all four wheels off track, you just get a small percentage drop off in your engine power. It's a really easy technological solution that means your your race isn't ruined, but you can't complete the overtaking manoeuvre and it ruins your, uh, uh, en- your straight line speed for the next straight. Yeah, you can get like a slowdown penalty, like on online sim racing, where they where they say you have to s- slow down for like five seconds, and that can be that could be quite easily controlled on the dashboard. They get a delta; you have to drop 0.5 of a second off your lap time. That's Done. right. So it doesn't even have to be an electronic thing that forces the car to slow down. It can simply be a penalty timer on the steering wheel that says you need to lose three seconds of time here. I mean, that would be quite a lot in F1. So it could even be just two seconds which means that your move wasn't worthwhile and you've got to lose those two seconds within 30 seconds. And so it's up to you to remove that delta. You can definitely do an electronic solution to it, Carl. Yes. Um, obviously, you'd want the driver to be in control. It would be quite dangerous to suddenly slap a restrictor on if you come on the track and can't accelerate. Somebody might end up rear-ending I'm them. not talking about uh, applying the Pro- brake pedal. I'm talking about just a slight bleed off of, of the power that you can apply. But anyway, um, yeah, so visually, that's... I think visually that's the problem is that it seems like they can just fly off the track and then rejoin. 
obviously we don't want to get into a huge debate about what you can and can't do when you leave the track, do we, Matt? Because we swore, we pinky promised we wouldn't get back into that fight. Uh, let's look at it tactically. It, it looks like all the teams have stacked up on the C4 Red Soft, which I know exactly what that is in this system. But most of the teams have gone for the softest tyre again with most teams only having one hard available for the race and perhaps a second one for like FP1 on one of the drivers. Yeah, if I look at the tire allocation, which tends to be very monotonous uh, because the teams all do the same thing. Uh, the only thing that really stands out to me is that Renault uh, in the form of Ricardo and uh, Haas in the form of Grosjean have chosen to bring a single medium tire. Uh, where everybody else has at least two. And most of the teams have brought but a single hard tire, which means eh, you know they're not going to test it and they're only going to chuck it on if they really think they need it. But what is striking me more and more about this is that every time we look at these tire allocations, it's two, three, four, three, four, five, one, two, three. We're still not seeing Pirelli skip a number and allocation. For example, one, you know, two, three, five might make things a lot more interesting and qualifying because no one will want to start on the five, but the five might be fast enough on a Haas or on a Renault, if we're going to uh, throw a bone to certain people on the panel here, to (laughs) actually get them in amongst and causing trouble the sharp end of the field. Okay, well, let's get Steve first then, Kyle. Uh, I've just got a question. Um, I'm tire ignorance, really. are they allowed to go, you know, uh, two, three, five, or does does the regulation say they've got to use those, you know, the three contingent um, compounds? Uh, that's a great question, Steve. They have to use the compound Pirelli specifies, and Pirelli absolutely chooses these numbers for the team, so they don't have any they don't have any say over that. Yeah, that's not quite what I meant. But are they allowed to use compound two, three, and then five? Or is there a regulation that says they've got to use two, three, and four? They can only use three in a row. Uh, that's Pirelli's choice. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, I think for Pirelli have dropped the ball a little bit there. They have a fantastic opportunity to completely open up the range. And I'd like to see them allow the teams to choose whichever tyre compound they like, and not just the three that Pirelli choose. So it would be brilliant. You could see Mercedes coming or choosing all of the softest tyres, all of the hardest, and you end up with disparity and steps between the tyre compounds, which would then encourage uh, more strategy options. But at the moment, the way Pirelli are running it, they're running it a bit too sort of uh, rigid, and it's, and, it's, and it's taking away options for strategy. I'm with Kyle. I'm, I find it a bit strange that the teams are dictated to about these tyres. I mean, I'm, perhaps I could understand it at the start of a season when you're bringing in new tyre um, specs that uh, Pirelli could say, these are the ones we suggest for this track. But once the teams get used to the tyres, surely the choice is theirs and not Pirelli's. Okay, I will try and do this quickly because even I feel like it's going a bit long here. But if we go back to the season of exploding tyres and we talk about why those tyres exploded, well, Pirelli set forth front and rear, left and right tyres. So each set of tyres had a front left, a front right, a right rear, and a right left. And teams were swapping them putting them front to back and running them the wrong direction. And Pirelli had no regulatory way to insist the teams not do that. And this led to the debacle at Silverstone, which wound up getting the tire specification changed in favor of Red Bull, as it happens. 
because the teams were able to make a safety argument for it. And Pirelli is not about to let that happen again. And this is exactly why you see Pirelli making these choices now. Last point from you, Carl. Yeah, but they can regulate that. They can mark the tires clearly and they can they can check how they're going on the car. So they can write in the rules, you're specifically not allowed to run them across the other side. So just let the teams choose whichever tire compounds they like. The teams, they set the tire compounds for the first three races because they obviously there's lead times, so they have to manufacture them. But then the teams have to nominate for the Grand Prix in five times which tire compounds they like. So we could see a huge range of different strategy options. I'd love to see that for next year. Kyle Power, a relatively new friend, actually, here on Missed Apex Podcast. I think we met at the British Rental Cart Championships some 18 months ago. Uh, Since then, you've become a semi-regular member of this panel. You've appeared with me as a karting and motorsport expert on BBC Radio Cambridgeshire. You've been a fine addition to this panel. And, And you're also another one who's not on Twitter. So where can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook. I am building up to uh, to joining Twitter. I have a Twitter handle there. I just don't trust myself sometimes on what I may say or who I may offend. So I am building up to it. I just need to filter myself. Can you be my filter? No, I can't be your filter. Goodness gracious. It takes all my effort to... Uh, I mean... I am politically neutral and uh, I maintain that on social media. So but behind you, you've got a sign that says leave. That's a bit, that's a bit on top. <laughs> That's a be nice or leave sign. I'm not going to leave my setup. It's a be nice or leave sign. I'll change it to remain next time. Well, we've only got your word to say that until you can be bothered to change your camera (laughs) angle. Uh, Kyle Power, uh, thanks very much for joining us. You are, of course, an outdoor go-karter, go-kartist. Go go karter. But you specialise in in outdoor karting. You you prefer the outdoor Mm. karts. Yeah, yeah. So outdoor karts, um, the ones I race, I race race senior Rotax Max, which is very similar to the one that Grosjean went out in recently. Um, it was a shifter car. He went out. It was very, 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 very fast. And they're absolutely exhausting. Yeah. And I believe he <laughs> said it was harder. Yeah. But do yeah. you think that's, um, that is just because say, for example, if a football player went to do rugby and vice versa, they would both be jarred by the change of discipline and the change of fitness required. Maybe the lack of suspension hurts in karting. So you have to wear a lot of body armor, rib protection. Um, as I found out, badly the hard way (laughs) so if i was to put you in an f1 car but bless you with the technical skills to drive an f1 car so you know you know how the systems work and you know all the fuel saving and everything how how do you think not pace wise but physically how would you hold up as a a fit man um i think my neck wouldn't be too bad because i did a lot of neck training because i race endurance so i have to hang on to one of these carts we can peak at 3g in the middle of the corners for for an hour and 10 minutes i can't take water on i can't take anything like that so my skill would let me down massively but i i think my neck would oh it it would be okay i wouldn't be great i'd be pretty destroyed but I, judging by Grosjean's comments i think i could survive if i didn't crash if you didn't crash that would be a big if thank you very much carl power uh, you can't follow him on twitter uh, but if you go around north East Cambridgeshire, uh, you can just follow him around in real life. Okay, so this story here, I believe, is from you as well, Kyle. Hulkenberg was nearly in a 2014 Ferrari. Tell us how that nearly came about. Well, yeah, he was on a other podcast recently, and um, oh, really? Oh, are we just ripping stuff off Beyond the Grid now? I oh, know it, it's it's been publicised everywhere, but um, yeah. So he said he was very close, within inches, to to quote him, getting a Ferrari drive. Um, and he he was questioned whether 
whether Alonso might have had a part to play in him not getting the drive. And he has actually asked Alonso about it and has come out and said, you never know if you're getting a straight answer from Fernando. So I'd uh, say probably yes. Fernando wanted his um his boy Kimi in there with him. Uh, see, now, Matt, I think it's preposterous to suggest that Alonso within a team could shift the result so that he would, uh, you know, wield enough power for his success, you know. Uh, you'd never get him, you know, telling a team to change the wrong tyre or something like that just to guarantee his win. Oh, no, that, w- that would never happen. I, I was going to go I'm with uh, related news that I heard that Hulkenberg nearly got a podium that year. Is that humour? Yeah, oh, right, he famously okay. has no podiums at all, despite several times having the opportunity. Okay, well, how do we think, uh, do we think Hulkenberg would have done? then at Ferrari had had history been different was he going to be Alonso's number two I think that is probably a poison chalice he didn't want anyway quite possibly um now he's going up against Danny Rick and Danny Rick has got on top of him pretty quickly we are questioning is Hulkenberg as good as we thought he was um I think he would have done okay in Ferrari and once he gets that podium if he ever does um I think it would do his confidence a world of good but um I don't think he would have done too well in that Ferrari to be honest Better than Raikkonen, though. Yeah, that's hard to argue. Although Kimmy's looking pretty handy this year. Matt, uh, let's go and sit with the grown-ups around the commercial table. We had questions on Twitter. Apologies, I didn't make a note of the asker that said, is it possible for a cost cap, which is coming in, to actually control gigantic global corporations? My instinct is no. They are going to find a way around it. They're going to have to pay lip service, of course, to the, the cost cap. They might have to make some different staffing uh, decisions. They might not be able to have, for example, what is it, 1,400 people at Brackley. However, is there a way to regulate the teams to spend less and make it a more even playing field? Well, we actually have a cost cap coming in next year. So we will certainly find out, although next year is sort of a trial run uh, to see how it all works out. But They have agreed to this, and of the regulations that have been put off till October, it's been agreed that the um, cost cap regulations are not going to be messed with at all. Um, And is it possible to fully restrain them and make them behave perfectly? Well, much like enforcing the speed limit, no, not really. But it will still affect their spending and their behavior, and it will reduce their overall level of spend. Yes, I think it will have a generally intended effect of reducing the margin between the teams that have unlimited resource and the teams that have limited resource. Yeah, I think ultimately it's a very good thing and the sport needs something because costs, as usual, every year, they just keep spiraling out of control. The only concerning thing is it uh, about it is that they're going to have to have some pretty good auditors to keep on top of uh, people and regulate it because, you know, um, F1 engineers are quite sneaky, so I'd imagine F1 accountants uh, <laughs> are about as slippery as Ferrari is finding success at the moment. And I would agree with you. And let's consider how many times uh, teams turn in other teams for suspected violations or even just get the ball rolling by saying, we have a question about this technical thing that might be possible in a loophole. And then the next thing you know, entire suspensions are banned and software that was never used was found on cars. I mean, you know, these things just happen. Steve. Look, I think we can delude ourselves as much as we like. <laughs> they're, for, they're Formula One teams. They will find a way around it, even if, you know, and if they do it properly, we will never hear about it. You know, we'll be blissfully ignorant, but they'll have a thousand people working in an underground 
development laboratory in the Ural Mountains and, and they'll be spitting out fantastic technology, but we'll never hear about it. Well, what a, sh- what a shameful allegation. That is the sole opinion of Steve Amy, who lives somewhere near Ramsey Street and is not the opinion of Mist Apex podcast or Spanners Ready as a whole. Uh, let's talk about Formula B now, guys. I- I'll stick with you, Steve. How disgusted are you that your so-called driver favourite is third place in a works Renault in Formula B, four points behind Sergio Perez in a racing point and uh, four points behind Carlos Sainz in a McLaren. I want to get some predictions from the panel about how that's going to unfold over the course of the season. So at the moment, it's Perez on 77 points. Now, let's just clarify with Matt. Are these points as if the top six don't exist at all? Or are these the points they've actually scored? These are the points as if the top six don't exist at all. Right. So if the top six didn't exist... Sergio Perez would be sitting in the top of the championship with 77 points. Is that how I'm reading it, Matt? Uh, That's correct. And if you want the numbers of the actual standings, I'm happy to give you those too. Now, let's do it. I I think this is more fun. I like pretending they don't exist. Of course, the slight crinkle in that is have some people finished in 12th place and not pushed as hard because there's no point at risk, whereas they would have done if that was in fact for fifth and sixth place. So but in these driver standings, in our Formula B driver standings, it's Perez on 77, just behind is Sainz on 75, Ricciardo, Magnussen, Raikkonen, Kvyat, Albon, Norris, Stroll, then Hulkenberg is the top 10. But it's so close, Steve. It's really tight. That would be a great championship to watch. It would be. Um, I think that we'll find that uh, Ricciardo is going to be c- closer to the pointy end of um, that competition Bias. as we get to as we get towards the end of the season, um, and I'm hoping that Cyril has been truthful and you know the, all the, the the new engine development that he's um, spouting comes about. Um, but the thing is, I don't think that um, Racing Point. Uh, are going to develop much this year. I think that uh, they've Ooh. basically written off this year and I think that they're looking towards next year at the moment. So I think that uh, f- that Renault are actually chasing the development this year. So I think that that bodes well for Ricciardo towards the end of the year. So we'll see, won't we? But I think uh, Daniel has a fair chance of taking it out. Slight counter to that. I, I get what you're saying, like because Lance is ninth on that list and is some 25 points down on Perez in our fictional points table here. Uh, how, however, that, that does affect, I believe, Force India's mentality going forward. I don't think they've written off the season. I don't think just because they're spending money on their facilities instead of all throwing all of it at the car, I don't think that means they won't develop. I think Force India have a decent record of developing well for their budget. And, and Kyle, in this kind of topsy-turvy midfield where everyone's been peaking and troughing, Actually, Racing Point have been reasonably consistent and Perez has been there or thereabouts. Yeah, um, they've been consistently not as good as they were last year. True. Um, and 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 I, I have to give a shout out, you'll hate this, but Lance Stroll, driver of the race, last race, in a in a very up and down and underperforming Racing Point Force India type thing, he, he drove an incredible race. Now he did. 
I wouldn't be doing my job as a Stroll hater if I didn't point out that there was a split strategy and, and you have, you can't argue that Stroll's strategy was the one that, that worked out better. However, fantastic performance also did better than you'd expect in qualifying considering he had to revert back to the old Mercedes spec engine, didn't he? Mm. And even with that old engine, he was still quite close to Perez. Although both drivers had scruffy qualifying laps, I think. So perhaps both of them could have done better. Yeah, it wasn't a true strategy he was on, though, I don't believe it. I think they were leaving him out, praying for a safety car, and they just kept leaving him out. And they're like, well, we've, <laughs> yeah. we've gone so far, we might as well carry on going. And he just did an amazing job of keeping those soft tyres alive. No one thought they'd go that far. So, yeah, credit where credit's due, and he did really good. But I'm surprised to see Perez at the top of the standing in Formula B, actually, because well, Racing Point have been very lacklustre this season compared to previous seasons. Matt? Well, and that's going to be entirely down to um, the nature of how the points are awarded in this fictional Formula One and a half series. He's been very consistent about nabbing a point or two in the top 10, despite having to start farther back, which you have to hand it to him. He has been the tire whisperer throughout his entire Formula One career. He's always been good on extending stints and managing tires. And clearly that experience has helped Racing Point out a great deal in terms of what they scored. But if you go back and look at the actual standings, he's not in first place in in the um in the driver's standings that include all the top yeah. teams and where you stop scoring points at tenth. And that's that's gonna be the big difference. I still think I'm still gonna throw in the way Magnuson has been driving. I think he's got an outside shot at it because when they're on they almost always win and get a big haul of points. So it's going to be one of those, I don't win as much, but when I win, I win big strategies that could see him at the top. That's true. So it, of course it is skewed, but what it what this table does is give us a, a, a representation of performance further down the field. So it gives us kind of the top 16 rewarded. I would love to see this become a reality. I, I, I've always said that I'd love to see some kind of shadow competition where you almost have B tier points. I don't know how that would work out, but it's a shame, Carl, when teams are in 12th or 11th, they're not pushing hard anymore. I don't want to say, yeah, give full championship points all the way down, but some kind of shadow point system like we're doing here could do something. Yeah, I think it'd be good. They do something similar in MotoGP or they don't give them points. They The top privateer team who isn't a full constructor always goes on goes into park Fermi with and the podium and gets a little accolade oh. they don't actually give them points but it's quite a nice idea so so they could do a, a privateer championship you know the top non-constructor championship well, it'd just be red bull though wouldn't it well yeah but they're now with honda so you could kind of argue they're a factory team now <laughs> okay matt and I just want to make clear that although this is an idea that plenty of people have these numbers actually do come from a reddit uh, sub forum Formula 1.5. And so thank you very much to them for having that clever idea and running with it because we love it. Good. Although they should have called it Formula B. Clearly, they should have called it Formula B. Uh, The disappointing thing, though, Matt, out of this table is Haas, who just seem to have all the potential in the world and and two pretty decent drivers. And it's just not happening. Well, you know, it's funny. If you look at their performances last year, it was very the same thing. They would have this many points, zero, 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 this many points, zero, zero. And then suddenly they'd have a tremendous bag of points where Grosjean and Magnussen both had really good races. This has been their struggle from the moment they showed up on the grid is uh, consistency across races. I don't think at this point 
anyone could argue with them having the fastest Formula B car when everything is working. But they have, more than any other team, struggled to understand and get the tires uh, working the way they need for the rest of the car to perform uh, at its optimum. Kyle? Uh, yeah, it's that it's that wild inconsistency that we have seen from them since it was, was it 2016 when they first come in and they always go well in Australia. They always go well at certain tracks, uh, regardless of the tires, which they're waxing lyrical about at the moment. And they're really being very vocal about they are the team that are suffering the most, but this is no different from any other season they've been in the sport. They have, they have always struggled with consistency and they, if they sort that out, then yeah, I agree. They, I think they'd be well, well at the front of the formula 1.5 standings. Yeah, I would make the minor point that uh, in years past, it seemed to be more operational consistency or driver consistency. And this year, I think it really is the the tires have just befuddled them. It's oddly matching the other years, though. It's it's a it's quite a coincidence. But yeah, I I see what you're saying. But it is it is quite a freaky um, <laughs> matched for previous seasons. Fantastic. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. We'll be doing our race review, I believe, at 8pm after the French Grand Prix. So stick around for that. Matt, people can follow you at MattPT55. And also your wife, uh, A. Weaver Writes on Twitter, publishes 17 books. Uh, is it per week or per month? I believe it's per month. It's, it's an astonishing rate that these books come out. I think the next one is due in September. And uh, for those of you who like the stars, it's called Love in the Laws of Motion and is about astronomy, amongst other things. Oh, I'm quite the fan of astronomy and science. Uh, thank you very much to our panel, Steve, Amy, our video guy, Kyle, Edgy Power and Matt Trumpets. You can follow me at Spanners Ready and you can follow the show at Mist Apex F1. Uh, thank you for supporting our sponsors who are The Economist at the moment. So make sure you get your free print copy of The Economist by texting APEX to 78070. It really does make the difference when uh, when our sponsors see that our, we have an engaged listenership that gets involved. We also have an award, don't we, Matt, which is Comment of the Week. Comment of the Week. Oh, my. Two in a row. Uh, oh, my. This is unprecedented territory for this podcast. Um, yeah, we have a couple. Uh, RJ Bone, enclosed, opaque, make them drive with video screens in front of them. Doubt my logic. Make them drive with video screens in front of them. What does that mean? Uh, you remember we were talking about the arrow screen? Yes. Yeah, oh. We're talking about glare? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, 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 that. Philip Allen, peril-sensitive canopy is a way forward. Imagine it turning perfectly black when you're about to have a collision. What could go wrong? Fantastic. Any more candidates? Um, yes. Uh, we have, indeed, Keternath Iyer. The graphics are out of sync because it was programmed by the dudes who programmed F1 TV Pro. <laughs> and finally, we have our friend Merkman with the caps cost plenty now. How bad can they get? Carl, you've got a nomination as well. Yeah, well, just before um, Trumpets did that last one, mine, uh, mine was along the similar similar lines, which was EJ Hammer, when we're talking about the cost caps, and it was like, man, these caps are too expensive. All right, then, who's our winner, Matt? Ooh, that's a very tough one, but I think I'm going to have to go with Merkman. He was on a roll. It was one of several. Comment of the week.
make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Missed Apex F1 and on Facebook by searching Missed Apex Podcast. We've got an active Facebook group there. We would love it if you would consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Okay, but now we don't talk about tyres for like four weeks. Even <laughs> even if a tyre explodes, takes the leader out and hands a win to Stroll, that doesn't get mentioned. Not, <laughs> not even a bit. Agreed, Matt? Come on. Um, you brought them up. We, I gave you your belly full. All right, so don't tell me you don't get none in the tyre department because I put out tyre-wise. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.